0: Good day, and welcome to the Agile People podcast. I'm joined today by Cheryl Tanzi, uh, and she's going to be discussing continuous learning and improvement. Joining me on the uh, interview panel today is Fran Maitland. Over to you, Cheryl. Good morning. <laughs> or good evening.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's the evening here in New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, the, the antipode, the other side of the world. Uh-huh. And uh, the good news is, David, the future is bright. Okay, yeah, like I'm in
0: the
2: future at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah. You're twelve hours ahead of us, aren't you? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And things are good.
1: Things are good in the future.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um so so, so we I, made it. We made it.
1: We yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at least another twelve hours of yes. things going well. <laughs> yeah. But now it's it's lovely to join you guys um and, and talk about a, a topic that's of um real value to me and importance to me. And it's really nice to to get to share a little bit to, today with, with both of you.
0: Fantastic. But,
1: yeah. It's really cool. And um,
2: I know we're going to talk about continuous learning improvement because that's the topic of the chapter that you've written in the book. But I wanted to start with a more um, personal question because you describe yourself as the second generation agileist, And it'd be mm. fantastic to learn a little bit more about why.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Happy to. Um, it's you know. Sometimes I'm I'm a little bit um, I I play with this a little bit and I ask people what they think. <laughs> <laughs> I go, what do you think? What do you think of me? And this is the classic coach, right? You know, don't ask me a question with a question. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm very fortunate that um that I my dad is a coach and has been in the the agile space for a very long time, well before it was called Agile. And so he has um, influenced the way that I see the world through, um, through the work that he's done to, to sort of create the environment that we're in now in terms of you know the fact that the word Agile is, is so common now is because of the people many years ago who said... The way that we're working is not good for us. This is not healthy for our customers. It's not healthy for our people. We need to find better ways of working, and um, yeah, and, and and so I'm I'm super proud to to um, that my you know my dad was part of that movement here in New Zealand, and it, it's very well connected into the international movement that happened, and so so he he is an agile coach as well, and I am um, you know and it's quite interesting because the role of agile coach is a relatively new role in the world of work. And so to have a second generation coach is quite, it, it's quite unique. It's quite different. Um, cool. And, and I, I, I don't know, I, I guess there's probably kids out there that have a coach as a parent who maybe don't want to be a coach as a result. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're sure that overcoached. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Maybe exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm really fortunate that that my dad is an Agile coach. Um, so that's where the, the second generation comes. Um, and, and in the last sort of two years, uh, he and I have been sort of working a bit in alignment around what the actual evolution of the Agile coach role is and how different what he does is to what I do. So we've actually taken that another level around the second generation and it's actually not just... Um, a genetic um, um, lapse in time this is actually it's actually quite a different role that I play as an agile coach in the work I do to what he does um, and and what he did when he came into this space so um, so yeah it's quite interesting and and I think you know really in alignment with with this book that we've created around agile people um, my focus is much more on the people side of it You know, I went away and became a professional coach separate to Agile, and it just so happened it was at a time where um, Agile coaching started to increase, and I came back into the IT world and went, actually, maybe I could use some of these skills as a coach to really coach people, not just um, tell people what to do in the Agile space, but actually, really do some coaching. So, yeah, so it's been it's pretty cool, and 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 since having my son this year or eight mm-hmm. months ago um, there's a bit of I, I one of my first gifts I got from him was from a fellow agile coach who sent a little outfit that says third generation agile coach
2: <laughs> excellent <laughs> excellent
1: um, you know whether or not that's of interest to him and who knows what the role of agile coach looks like by the time he enters the workforce but yeah it's a, it's a cool idea right to be able to um, pass on your passion to your children is, is yeah. pretty cool
2: now, I, I sort of wonder, maybe is an unfair question, Cheryl, so tell me if it is, but I, I wonder if there's a, like a, a lasting legacy from your childhood or a particular event that you remember from your childhood where the light bulb moment went on and you went, this is something I want to embrace the rest of my life.
1: Um, probably, it was probably well beyond my childhood and more in my early corporate years where I, um, I was I was a project manager, an IT project manager, and I remember at the time my dad was sort of like what are you doing? <laughs> you are you're buying into the world that I'm trying to you know disrupt. Yeah. And um you know, but in, in a typical coach sort of thinking, you know, you can't tell someone that you have to allow them to go on their journey and then be there to support them, you know, and and I think for me, I, I massively burnt out as a, as a project manager and I was a terrible project manager because I didn't enjoy the experience of trying to control people. Um, and mm. if anything, it massively disagreed with not only my mind, but my whole body. You know, I got quite sick as a result of trying to manage and control people. Um, and so there was definitely a light bulb moment for me where I went, this is not the best way to get people to come together and achieve something. There's got to be a better way. And, and that was sort of the, the end of my project manager career and the beginning of when I, I moved into coaching. So there was, yeah, there was a light bulb moment. It took me a few years to figure it out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so it's, it's fascinating. So even with the father agilist yeah. in the background, where you might assume the, the ground is really fertile for you to grow up, and yeah. learning from that, you had to go through your own personal journey to learn. And I, you yeah. know,
1: I, I'm not entirely sure, I'm sure there's probably a bunch of unpacking to do around that, but I think there's a piece in there around, I, I think I, I've always carried the values that align into agile and, 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 and creating agility in what you do. But I, um, I guess I probably got sucked into the the, the corporate machine, and you know started mm-hmm. to notice that the people who were kind of aggressive and controlling got rewarded, and um, mm-hmm. unconsciously started to desire that or, or want to achieve that, and you know got rewarded and praised for that. And and I, I look back now and I. I realized kind of how naively I um, I chased that because that yeah so so you're right like I had I had the right environment to 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 avoid that sort of thinking but I was um I was I was chasing it which yeah I don't know there might also be a part of yeah. there's a bit of rebellion might be in there
2: <laughs> we all have to go a different path yeah. to our parents yeah. for sure and yeah. and it's it's interesting because I mean. Shall you know through the Agile people world that um, we do a lot of discussion about talk around the environment and the systems that surround us as people and the example you've just given there is brilliant around getting sucked into that corporate machine, um, but in that command control hierarchical organisation, getting the right environment to learn um, and improve can be really challenging and really difficult. Um, And I wonder from your experience, um, and some of the work you've done, um, whether you can talk a little bit about how to work in an environment that is command and control, but also what do we really need to be aiming for to create the right environment to allow everyone to learn effectively at work?
1: Great question, really cool question. Um, and that's a, it's a big oh, right. That was several
2: questions all thrown in together, wasn't it? Should we start with that. the command and control environment and how you can make a small change there? <laughs> yeah, we will come and, to the second
1: one. And, and I guess, um, you know, my very first question is um, or, or, or response to the question, because I'm not going to answer your question with a question. Um, my very first response is it depends. And only because, obviously, in every environment, we're dealing with a very different ecosystem that exists there. Mm-hmm. And um, when, we're, when we're aiming to create a space that we can learn and improve, um, we need some, some conditions in place in order to do that. Um, first of all, we need to be able to acknowledge that there is more for us to learn. And in a, you know, often in a, I'm going to sort of a little bit categorize command and control environments. Again, what, what are we rewarded for? We're rewarded for knowing everything. We're rewarded mm-hmm. for being on top of everything. We don't show vulnerability. We, you know, we are the best at our game and, and, and we don't need to learn anything else because we're already so knowledgeable. Um, You know, sometimes one of the most intimidating environments is when you're getting paid more than you think you're worth and you don't want to tell anyone that you don't really know what you're doing <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: because if they think that then maybe they won't pay you as much or they won't give you that role that you feel uncomfortable about you know the classic imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and, and in that environment um, it's not safe to say I, I don't know the answer to it should we figure it out um, mm-hmm. You need to pretend that you know what you're talking about. So, so regardless of the, the context, there's always a need to create an environment where it's okay to say, "I'm not too sure what the answer is, let's yeah. figure it out. Mm-hmm. And if it's not comfortable to say that, then then there's some work to be done in that space. Um, and, and you know this is where you know our leaders can be so powerful, the moment that just one influential mm. leader is willing to say that in front of even just their own team, you know, ideally they get on a megaphone and say it to the whole company and go, I don't know the answer to this. So let's all figure <laughs> it out, you know, like that would be wonderful. But even if it's just their own team, um, they make it that little bit safer for someone else to say that same thing as well. Mm. So th- there's there's a piece there around acknowledging that we don't know what we don't know um, but I think that the, the way in which that can be integrated is around the improvement part so if we mm-hmm. can acknowledge that in order for us to improve we have to be able to identify something that could be improved and so it might it might be that you, you're not kind of identifying and saying well you don't know that but this is something that we haven't You know, we haven't nailed. We can make it better. Mm -hmm. And so, one of the um the questions that I often ask teams, um, and you can this can be to an individual or a team, um, and it's usually at the beginning of a retrospective, which is you know um, a ceremony in which we come together as a team Mm -hmm. and we look at how we could improve. You know, we reflect back using empirical data. So, taking a look back over the last week, two weeks, or in some situations the last few months, whenever you last caught up as a team, what's everything that's been happening? And, you know, the types of questions we might ask is what's going well, what's not going so well, what could we improve? Um, the question I like to ask is what sucks or what's stuck? <laughs> Those two things, Excellent. what sucks or what's stuck? Mm-hmm. And I find that shift, if we can shift, just the focus away so any one person doesn't feel like they're having to acknowledge they don't know something Mm -hmm. when the reality is if we haven't solved a problem, it's because we don't know the answer. But if we can focus on something that, um, and I often talk about, you know, teams actually standing shoulder to shoulder. And the goal with that is, can we, you know, use a whiteboard or use a physical space or even in the digital world, can we use something where we're all looking at something together that's not ourselves it's something. It's a process that we're up against, or it's a, um, a mm. system that we're trying to we're trying to fix or improve. What sucks or what's stuck? Um, I find that can sometimes loosen up the conversation. You know, people can quite quickly point fingers at other things, which is great because what mm. we're trying to understand is what is it in our processes and our system that we want to improve. And sometimes I find that's an easier way to focus because what that's going to usually require is that we learn something in order to improve that. So that I, that's sort of one of one, yeah one of the ways in which I I might try and flip that a little bit.
2: I I, I love that because I you, I know you referred to the the three questions that have been in circulation for what feels like decades now: the what went well, what was tricky, what can we do differently. Um, But I love that that's a really nice evolution of those questions and human nature we are very good at pointing out what's not going well what's not working
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, like like I I love to use the p word a lot more than a lot of other people the word problem mm -hmm. and people go well it's not a problem it's an opportunity and I go you're totally right but in order for us to identify an opportunity we often have to actually acknowledge there's a problem and this Mm -hmm. probably Mm -hmm. sits in that same space of like we don't necessarily want to acknowledge ourselves that we have a problem we just want to shift straight to opportunity because in an environment where it's not safe to talk about problems um, we don't want to say them and we certainly don't want to Mm -hmm. acknowledge that that's something that's our problem you know so so I'm, I'm always aware if I you know, sometimes with the team, I might say, "So, you know, what are what are the biggest problems that we're dealing with at the moment?" And they go, "None, none, we don't have any problems." Yeah. I go, "Okay, that that tells me <laughs> that it's that there's an environment there that says it's not okay to talk about our problems. It's not okay to acknowledge that we've got problems." Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes in that context, I might switch the wording into challenge. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges that we face at the moment? So again, it's sort of it's recognizing that there's certain words that might be triggers for people. um, And those triggers are usually indicating a a culture and an environment that's sitting under the surface. And so those are a few ways you can sort of almost test it and go, well, should we identify some problems? And if someone goes, "Oh, oh, we haven't got to... You go, okay, cool. Challenges. Because in my mind, an opportunity only becomes an opportunity once we've acknowledged there's something to address and we Mm -hmm. look for the opportunities of how we might address it Um, because I find if we go for the opportunities first we have a quite a a small scope of what we believe is possible for us so yeah so I I guess a bit of a play but yeah that's another way in which I might switch out the word opportunity you know what sucks and what's stuck is a little mm-hmm. bit more relaxed language. And it's the way that we actually probably talk about things. You know, how often do you actually catch up with a friend and go, so what's going well and what's not going well in your life? You know, you're not <laughs> generally sitting over coffee using maybe that language. You might go, man, I'll tell you what sucks at the moment. This, this, you know, like using the language we really use. Yeah. In
0: and, and it's, and pr- it's probably that, true that your friend will tell you more, more keenly what sucks. You know, yeah. and you kind of go well in an organisation. Why don't you have that that same amount of um, candour in, in that approach? You know, so it taps into that kind of healing. You know, acknowledging your problem is fifty percent um, to to solving that problem, basically, isn't it? So, really fascinating.
1: Totally.
2: Sorry, sorry, Sharon. Um, I don't want to interrupt that flow because it's fascinating but I I also have um, a couple of other questions that are a bit more in the in the content um, of the chapter Um, and I just I was really fascinated um, the the VAC uh, concept or the VARC concept as has been amended um, it'd be really good for people listening for you if you could give a brief explanation of that um, and then I have a very specific question related to that
1: yeah cool so um one of my uh learnings and this is on a personal level in terms of um recognizing how I learn best and do you know what Fran I have so many books in my bookshelf (laughs) (laughs) have I have I finished one from front to back no I haven't not a, single one, not a single one of them and that or that that for many years used to really um that uh kind of I was I was pretty hard on myself about that why are you not reading these books they're such great books and someone's recommended it and they said it's really helpful um and you can't even read this book <laughs> you know what put it on the shelf go get yourself another one maybe it's just the book and um what as I started to learn more about myself Mm -hmm. and my learning style I realized that um, reading a book is not how my brain absorbs information and and I think once I realized that I gave myself permission to stop trying to make myself read books Um, I still I still have them everywhere and I love picking them up and looking at random pages and getting things from them Mm -hmm. Um, but I started to at that point, went on a bit of a journey for myself of realizing, well, if it's not books, then what is it for me? And 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 a huge part for me is around um, the doing part of it, the kinetic mm-hmm. side of things. Um, when I'm engaged and, you know, especially if I can do it with other people, because I, um, you know, I sit higher on the extrovert level. I'm highly influenced mm-hmm. by the energy of others. So I started to learn that when I'm around others, And I get to practice something especially when it's something that is um quite deeply conceptual um then I started to think it would it would would stay in my brain (laughs) it wouldn't be gone quite so quickly Um, I also started to learn as you can tell by my myriad of post-it notes and whiteboards everywhere there we go same with David um I needed to be able to get things out of my head and I need to not only write them and see them, but I need to move them around. Yeah, so it's, I, it's
2: not, it's not the visual aspect on its own. It's the c- combination of the two, the visual okay. and the movement. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And as I started to learn more about the VARK model, it was like, wow, each of these senses um, enables me to absorb information in different ways. And then, you know, this has become even more um, prominent in my mind, having a young baby and watching him make sense of the world, you know, like everything in front of him, he puts in his mouth. (laughs) He just I'm not sure at what point that stops, but, you know, like, as you, you know, generally as adults, we don't kind of go, wow, this is, this is a cool thing. It's it's a phone. I'm just going to eat it, you know, but (laughs) there's a reason they do it. There's sensory, there's taste, there's all these Mm -hmm. different senses that we have. And my belief when it comes to making sense of new information which is when we're learning, um, the more senses we can engage, the better. And the ones that can really work for us ourselves are the ones we should learn more about and, and use ways for ourselves to learn it. So, you know, know, know mm-hmm. yourself for what you really need to learn. You know, if you, if you think back over, you know, when was the last time I really engaged in some learning and what what was i doing and what was happening from Mm -hmm. a sensory level so so i guess the vark model when i started to learn about it i was like this all makes sense of course everything that we learn as humans comes in through one of our senses and if you can kind of if you can reflect back yourself you can probably identify some of the times when you've learned you've had the biggest learning impacts um, and and notice the different senses so yeah for me that um this model became really important to help put some language around the things that I started to realize about myself.
2: So just for people listening, the V is for visual, A is for auditory, so what we hear, the R is for reading, writing, the book example you've just given, and the K is the kinesthetic, the movement piece. And as I understand it, we all take in information in different channels but we prefer some channels more to others in the way we learn. Um,
0: yeah, and it's something match between the three really, mm-hmm. isn't it, um, or, or sorry, the four um, and values that you gave there so there'll be some heavily influenced on the other sides um, more on the auditory or the visual I, my, myself i'm very visual um, I, I you know if you if you talk to me or if i read something i'm, I'm really generally not going to be taking it in but if you show me it in, in a picture and we move stuff around and i interact with it then for me that's that's how i learn you know it's um i'm, I'm not i'm not an orthodox learner by any means you know I mean, I've been to university and stuff. I didn't particularly enjoy that way of learning because it wasn't as visual, you know. So, but uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think
2: I think it's a it's a great model, and and you you talk about it in a bit more detail in the book. Um, you have a fantastic example in the book about a guy who's drawing on a whiteboard. I, I wonder just if you could bring that to life for us.
1: man, this was. I I really thought twice about whether I would write about this story in the book because it was. Um, well, even still when i think back to it i feel embarrassed about how i dealt with it but i think it's the learning and that embarrassment that makes it powerful <laughs> so i thought you know what why not let's do it. it's not every day that you're co-authoring a book why not just put something in there that puts you totally out of your comfort zone um so i was um i was I was leading a, a beautiful team in uh, in vancouver we were, um at a start, at a tech startup and I still remember the day we were sitting in this meeting room where half the meeting room is glass. So you, you know, like, it's like you're in a fishbowl. It's very cool in the high tech startup <laughs> companies to sit in these fishbowls while you have meetings and, and the, the glass isn't even joined. There's gaps. Everyone can hear what's going on. It's kind of weird. Um, but we're, we're in, we're in our up, and I noticed for, you know, I've been working with this team for um, probably about two months and, one of the reasons I'd been um, asked to come and work with this team is they were not performing very well in terms of their delivery throughput. Mm -hmm. This was in an organization that wasn't highly agile, um, but they knew that the delivery of this team and they said, can you go in and coach them and work with them and do your thing that you do? Okay, I I can go in and see how, you know, just go and see how the people are doing, which is my first thought. And so I'm attending these stand-ups every morning. They're at the same time. Um, everyone's there, you know it's very it's really great attendance. everyone's turning up and we sit down and everyone sort of sits down in the same seats that they always sit down in and then it starts going around the group and they start telling, you know this is what I'm doing today, this is what I did yesterday. And this one guy in the team um, is drawing and and I, it was different. The, the walls were all whiteboarded. sometimes he would draw on the walls. Mm-hmm. sometimes he would draw on the tables because the tables were actually whiteboard tables. Um, and so he would often draw when people were going through what they were talking about. And he would sort of draw cartoons or he'd draw different things. And what would happen is as, as it would go around the group, um, slowly everyone would start to be engaged in what he was drawing mm-hmm. and people stopped listening to the other people in the group as they were talking about what they were talking about. And And so I'm sort of watching this day after day going, what's going on here? Why is he... And I'm noticing that people are kind of trying to talk, and no one's listening to them because they're focused on the drawing. And and I um, at the time was feeling a bit of pressure to get this team up and running. And and I and I could feel in myself going. I can see what a big challenge is here right now. Mm-hmm. The team are they're not talking or listening to each other. They're focused on this guy drawing, and he's he knows everyone's watching him, and he's you know doing a bit of a show. And so everyone leaves stand-up and i said can i can i have a quick word with you mm-hmm. you could see him sort of go well, okay and i said i um i just wanted to let you know that um i'm noticing in these stand-ups that you're always drawing when people are talking and um i, I don't think it's very healthy for the team because people are you know you it's more interesting what you're drawing than what they're saying and and i think mm-hmm. that's kind of rude to the team that you're not paying any attention to what they're saying. And I still remember, you know, the tone I sort of said, it was very judgmental and Mm. it was very, you know, what are you doing? (laughs) And I, like I said, it's, 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 I feel embarrassed thinking back because I just jumped to this conclusion. Had I, you know, if I could live it over again, I might just inquire more, Mm. you know, what was happening you know what's happening why, why do you feel but I went straight in you know I don't I, I think you shouldn't da, 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 da. and he goes Cheryl I am engaged I am listening I heard everything they said today
2: mm-hmm.
1: I said well I don't think you are because you're drawing all over the table mm-hmm. and he said that's how I keep my brain engaged I just as soon as he said it and with the sincerity of his voice and I just thought oh man what am I
2: <laughs> waiting for? The world to open up and <laughs> swallow you from well, embarrassment.
1: <laughs> I was so, and I just, and thankfully, he's a really lovely person and still a friend of mine. Mm. Um, and I remember in that moment, he obviously saw on my face this embarrassment, and I just said, "Whoa, okay, um, I think I'm going to need you to explain this more." <laughs> and so we had this really beautiful conversation, and he said, "I really struggle to just sit." and listen to people talk about things i need to be engaged with something physically and it enables my brain mm-hmm. to be able to actually listen and take the information in and uh and yeah and and so i remember saying to him i i thank you for like giving me that perspective i had no idea um i said i do still think that it is impacting the group and i, I and you know he said i had no idea that everyone was watching me and I, you know, I feel I feel really bad that I'm I'm disrupting the team. I didn't realise mm-hmm. that. So we were able to make each other aware of, you know, these different perspectives. And um and then the next session we came back in and and I um just I thought this is, you know, if you're ever going to choose a time to be a vulnerable leader, this is it. And I said, look, I, I need to um acknowledge something to the team. I'm I'm a bit embarrassed about it. Um I talked to Mikey after this and, and this happened mm-hmm. and 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 the team went, oh they kind of looked at him and he said, yeah, I'm I'm sorry that I have been distracting everyone. And, you know, the team sort of went, so I said, so how do we do this in a way that like, you know, all of a sudden it opened this conversation, Mm -hmm. which was like, are these sessions helpful? Are they valuable? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Do we need to, do we need to run these differently in a way that's actually going to be more engaging? Are they boring? (laughs) You know, we... You know I, I realized that I'd sort of um inherited this ceremony they were running. and and I hadn't ever once asked them, do you want to run this ceremony? Do we understand why we, you know, and all of a sudden we talked about this this meeting we hold and mm-hmm. we changed a bunch of things and and we and we and we talked about our senses and we talked about, you know, what do people need? And some people said, I actually want to stand up through it. Can I bring my coffee in? can mm-hmm. I And we created this what became this really cool, catch up and we often would do it out of the office we would go and meet at a park and do it at a park and we would and it was a yeah it, it, it was amazing how these little moments of um uh, jumping to a conclusion because we don't understand what mm-hmm. someone needs and thankfully in that moment he was able to articulate to me exactly what he needed and I was able to respond with um well let's figure out a way to make this work and, and it's always stayed with me um, in terms of when I'm working with different teams and recognizing that everyone has different preferences um, and, and, and trying best we can to acknowledge them and talk about how do we how do we create an environment that we all are gonna learn well together, so. Yeah,
2: yeah. I love that story. It's such a great example of how a small seed, which was a piece of feedback planted in a piece of soil no matter that the soil wasn't maybe the best, hadn't done it in the best way, um, but the beauty that came from that in terms of the changes that were made within the team to make that ritual more more uh, valuable for them.
0: You yeah, could always continuous learning and improvement in motion.
2: <laughs> absolutely.
0: <laughs> Sorry, exactly. a little bit cornered there. That is the chapter of <laughs> 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 but a great example, absolutely. It, was, it showed lots of things there. It showed um, the the interaction that you had with the team across the board. you you your vulnerability in that role as well, Shell. So it it's absolutely amazing. And as Fran says, you know, um, those seeds just blossomed really into something um, fantastic, doesn't it? And and um, credit to you that you're still friends with this person, you know, um, so many years later as well. And yeah, no, it's fantastic and a great experience.
1: <laughs> I was um, gonna say, it's no. sort of a reminder of, um, you know, often we will will do different types of personality profiling in an organization, you know, well, what kind mm-hmm. of type of person are you? and. Um, But not often do we have conversations around which of your senses you know do you find easiest to learn best and communicate best and I I feel like it's a it's a conversation that the moment you sort of say it out loud you go of course we should talk about our senses and and what our preferences are that seems so obvious but it's often not um, a standard thing that we have in our um our culture and our development and our growth and you know I'm sure many people know what their Myers Briggs profile is, or you know what type of animal they are, or but you know how many people are actually encouraged to think about and um, which of my senses is where I mm-hmm. learn the most? Because once we know that, man, it can make a huge difference to um to the you know is it is information being forced on us or are we absorbing it? Yeah. yeah.
2: Cool, and um, I. So in that little connection of now understanding that your preference seems to be visual and kinesthetic <laughs> in terms of the way you learn, um, I'm sat here reflecting and thinking about your experimental journey you've been on using LinkedIn Live, um, mm-hmm. where you're combining both of those, aren't you? The visual and the kinesthetic in a live video in the moment to talk about a topic that's close to your heart. Mm-hmm. How how has that been as an experience for you? And And the learning that you've made along the way?
1: Yeah it's um the reason I was so excited about the idea of it and terrified at the same time um is many years ago I was a radio announcer and that was (laughs) I couldn't decide what I wanted to study straight out of school um so I went went to radio school and decided to become a radio announcer um and I remember learning a lot through that around um, uh, audible storytelling because mm-hmm. when I was a radio announcer, there was like, there was no visuals that, you know, you couldn't do a video call with someone. Everything was audio and there was a lot of storytelling and I, and I got to learn a lot about that. Um, but it's only in recent years with, you know, the likes of having video mm-hmm. to accompany it with the visual side of it that I think I, I really, I love what is available now, in terms of pe- you know being able to engage with mm-hmm. people, and there's there's a hundred percent there's a there's a beautiful piece around just audio, you know if you listen to you know a really great um, I still love listening to like radio documentaries, mm-hmm. you know you sit back and you close your eyes and you listen to somebody talk about something in a way that they can use the right language. And you can taste the thing they're talking about. You know, like it is a really powerful medium. Um, but when it comes to having short spaces of people's attention to share a, um, a message or teach a small learning or whatever it might be, the video, the audio and the live factor is the mm-hmm. other part that. that is so cool. Um, you know, I, I purposely, when I go on to the LinkedIn Live, I don't rehearse what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> No, That's I, right. I, you know part of it I've got to be honest part of it is just simply because it comes to mind and I go this seems like a good time to do this as opposed to right when will people be available um, what are things that people want to talk about at the moment? Um, I just I, I haven't have inspiration of something I'd like to share and this medium allows me to do that on an audio level, on a visual level and on a very real live level. Um, and so that's been that's been really exciting. Um, it's also you know it's quite a rush when you think I have no idea who's listening, and this mm-hmm. is this is probably the the similarity of the radio side of things. Often I'd turn on my microphone, and I'd know that there are thousands of people listening, but it's just me sitting in that space, mm-hmm. and you really have to kind of yeah like get out of your own head and think. Imagine you're talking to someone else. How would you talk to them, and and so it's been it's been really fun. It's been really cool, and and I've got some lovely feedback. Um, what what I would say is feels very unprepared. People are receiving on the other end is very genuine, <laughs> so that's cool. That's
2: <laughs> and, and and accessible, I think, because it comes across as very human. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I remember I saw I think it may, might might be the first one or two I remember seeing. And um, you are experimenting live in front of everybody. I think you had a problem with the microphone in one uh, of those sessions. <laughs> and
1: <laughs> I did an entire stream. And I was like, oh, wow, no one's engaging. No one's. And so I'm talking. About- the microphone was on mute the entire time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until
1: yeah, someone listened back over it. I think they kindly sent me like a private message. Hey, Cheryl, just to let you know, I think that entire thing was on mute. I was like, oh, okay. So, um,
2: beyond, beyond the logistical issues of having the microphone um, op- turned on, what, what things have you learned through that process for yourself?
1: Great question. What things have I learned? Um, I've learned that you don't have to have things... Um, You don't have to orchestrate learnings Um, I guess you know a huge amount of what I do when I'm not on LinkedIn live um, (laughs) is um, is really thinking around you know I've got a concept that I'm trying to teach what's the medium I'm going to teach how might I teach it how long might that session be how like I'm, I'm really consciously thinking about how to create a really great experience for people to learn and and I kind of use the word orchestrate. I, I recently went mm-hmm. to a talk and they were talking about the difference of, um, in facilitation of orchestrate being at one end, and uh, orchestrate and structured, and mm-hmm. then the other end it being around organic, and you know figuring out where you need to be on that scale for the group that you that you're working with. And um, and I think there's a really lovely part of the LinkedIn Live side of it, which is about, it's very organic sharing
2: mm-hmm.
1: and always when I'm going on I'm 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 always starting it with a question In the hope that what I share as my perspective might um help someone else to learn something new whether it just be learning a new perspective or learning a new tool or a word mm-hmm. or um so I think it's yeah that's it I'm really learning the power of um of kind of letting go of some of that orchestrated, structural side of the learning. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of our learning can happen very naturally just in in, um, conversating with people and and hanging out and and talking and, and being around other people. So yeah, I think that's the power of organic learning, I guess.
2: And I think it's probably maybe a little bit of the power of LinkedIn in itself that as you scroll through in those five minutes, when you take a coffee break and you're scrolling through, see what's in there, the things that catch your attention are probably the things that you've just been reading about or dealing with. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, think, I think what you're doing is fantastic in terms of just sparking little moments of inspiration and people who are ready for it will pick it up.
0: Absolutely. You know, and just to make sure that happens. So if you haven't already, myself and Fran and thousands of others have, Cheryl Tanzi live on LinkedIn. Catch her when you can. I've seen numerous ones. Cats appear, newborn babies appear. She will get her guitar out. She's climbing walls and hanging up Post this left, right and centre. It is fantastic to watch, to engage in, and hopefully you join it soon. Um, and hopefully she has her mic on, just to make sure that is. So Cheryl Tanzi, co-author of the book, Agile People Principles, your call to action for the future of work. This is fantastic. Um, let's continue.
2: <laughs> Thanks, David. Um, Cheryl, slightly left field question. The Agile Wrap, the Agile Wrap, tell us about it. <laughs>
0: So the
1: agile Agile rap um, came about, I had, I was doing a talk to a hundred tech women in Vancouver and I was, I just had no idea what I was going to talk about. I'd got this talking spot and I don't even remember how I got it, but I remember not really knowing what I was going to talk about. And then I had this massive fear hit me of why would they listen to what i'm gonna say (laughs) who who am i to talk to them about you know it was around agile and i just thought man you know like to be fair women are harsh critics on other women Mm -hmm. it's um i learned that back in my radio days when i had a male co-host and i was a female co-host and i remember our producer at the time said it almost doesn't matter what he says the women won't get annoyed at him he can say the most ridiculous things They'll be much more critical of you. Wow! And I remember at the time going, well, This is this thing's mm-hmm. crazy," um, but it, it was it was really accurate. Un- unfortunately, and and women can be, you know, we we can be really harsh critics of other women. And I remember this was in my mind as I'm like, "I'm going to talk to a hundred women," <laughs> and you know, now and, and I just remember thinking, "I need to be vulnerable. Yeah. I need to be real in some way." And it was about two days before the talk. And I called my sister and I said, I'm going to do a rap. <laughs> and she just went, yeah, cool. That's a good idea.
2: And have, like, have, you, have
1: you done raps before, Hans? Have you got some no, experience I here? No, oh. no. I, I once did a rap for my best friend's wedding. I was the maid of uh-huh. honor. Um, I, I grew up listening to a lot of rap and a lot of hip hop. Mm-hmm. So I, um, and I, I just love it as a storytelling method. Um, I, I always, you know, it always amazed me. Tupac Shakur was one of like my my idols. He's an amazing rapper. And and there's this amazing documentary where he talks about how he was, he, was, he wasn't he was a rapper, he was a poet, but he realized huh? he could make more money from rapping. And he went on to be one of the like baddest, like, ama- like bad as and good, <laughs> um, like amazing <laughs> rappers of his time. I mean he was a poet he just realized that and so rap is an amazing storytelling technique Mm -hmm. um so um so I was like I'm gonna do this rap and I just remember what I I was writing it like 10 minutes before the talk like I'm still trying to finish off the words I haven't practiced it I remember just getting there and I remember all these women just staring at me with the look that I'd sort of imagined like this who are you what are you doing here what have you got to teach us and I remember I was just so sweaty <laughs> and I was just I remember thinking what am I doing they're just gonna laugh at me and I just thought oh well what's you know the worst in my mind it was worse that they um that they didn't even want to listen to me than they laughed at me at least if they like they're uh-huh. laughing then they're listening <laughs> And so I did this rap and and I remember at the time, I don't know what my hands were doing. I was trying to hold this microphone slipping out of my hands. I was so sweaty. And I remember I finished the rap and I looked up and this whole room of women were like,
2: like oh, I don't wow. think they heard
1: any of the words <laughs> that I said, but they were just like, cool. Like, you just did a rap. <laughs> and so from then on, um. I I, it was the beginning of I did this this agile I call it my agile tour I did a Mm -hmm. big trip moving back from Canada back to New Zealand I decided I was going to do a whole lot of talks along the way and I took my rap with me and everywhere I went I did the rap and it would just people would just relax Mm -hmm. um, at the beginning and then I could then I could share things in a way that seemed to land much better with people because they Mm -hmm. were like wow she just rapped in front of us. Let's at least give her a chance to share something. <laughs> so yeah, we need to hunt yeah. this
0: rap down, Cheryl. We, What's we, that? We need the rap to appear at some point.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it appears sometimes. <laughs> okay. Um, it does need it needs a beatbox though. This is the
2: ah uh, okay. Okay. So, David, how are your beatbox skills?
0: i <laughs> um, a bit rusty. A bit rusty. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. If, I mean, if someone's willing to give me a beatbox, I can rap.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe. Maybe we'll do that in another <laughs> podcast. <then>. See,
2: <laughs> so you called. You called for courageous behaviour, Cheryl,
1: and we've that, hidden from you. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You caught
0: it's, off The it's big ass. Yeah. The big ass. Yeah. Um, no, but definitely. Let's let's do this again sometime. And,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, absolutely. I, and I guess the good yeah, thing is. Okay. Um, Cheryl, a lesson that's uh, learned is from your radio presenting days is that where it didn't matter what the man had to say because um, um, he would never make a mistake, is it's come full circle. So nobody wants to inter- listen to me today because I'm the mistake maker and it's just lovely speaking to you as two ladies um, or listening to you um, talk about your experiences and it's fantastic. Oh,
1: beautiful. It's, um, it's so nice to just get to reflect on this and, and remember some of the things that I'd shared in this book um, it's reminding me to, to to reconnect into my senses today. Um, I might just finish with the quote that the chapter actually starts on, which is never stop learning because life never stops teaching. And I think there's always an opportunity for us to be learning more in our life um, and the richness that can come when we are willing to acknowledge that and the things that you don't even know could be possible in your life if you're willing to um to be curious and to step into a space that might feel a bit uncomfortable so i guess that's probably yeah i guess i'd, I'd just love to sort of share that i've, I've like i mentioned i've become a new mum um eight months ago and the biggest steepest learning curve of my entire life i thought i had life figured out and life said nope here's um here's a big challenge for you so i just i i encourage you know, if anything feels a bit uncomfortable, um see whether or not you've got the courage to lean into that uncomfortableness and um and try learning something new.
2: Thank you, shell It's been an inspiration talking to you. Really thank valued you. this time.
0: Indeed it is Thank you, I'm um, Fran Metlin from the Agile People Collective, and very big thank you to Shell Tanzi. That's been amazing. I thank you to our listeners, and we shall see you on the next podcast. Bye-bye for now.
1: You guys are amazing. (laughs)